You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. Hello and happy holidays from the Movie Graveyard crew. We are getting ready to get into one of the most, uh, in- I think it's one of the most interesting uh, horror holiday um films out there but uh once again i'm joined by the incomparable trev 3k trev how you doing hey we're doing pretty well happy holidays goat to you, you and to all of the listeners uh and yeah i agree with you i think i'm glad uh you contacted me about this one because obviously there's some other choices this decade we could have we could have looked at um and a lot of good ones but i think this one is a is at least fairly unique in the this little subgenre. Yeah, for sure, and like I don't know, it just it just puts a different spin on it, and uh, uh, I mean, I guess we'll just get into it, but uh, but I, I think this is one that even though it's kind of like been around for a while, like I I think it definitely deserves to reach a, like another notch or two in the uh, you know the cult holiday horror uh, pantheon there. So mm-hmm. let's just go ahead and get into it. Um, as of right now, holiday 2019, you can get this film on um, a reasonably priced uh, Blu-ray, or you can watch it if you have Shutter. So, we're I'm rolling off the blue, Trev's rolling off the Shutter. I'm gonna say one, two, three, go, and when I say go, hit play on your remote, guys. We have this both versions, both streaming and um, um, disc. And also, too, this is also uh, under a different title. You better watch out. It's actually available right now. Yeah. I think well, we didn't on... even say what the movie is. I guess maybe yeah. we should. <laughs> well, Christmas Evil slash yeah. <laughs> You Better Watch Out slash. Uh, also, I've heard some people refer to this movie as Terror at Toyland, I think it is. Huh. I haven't seen any posters with that, but I've heard some people say that was another title. So, yeah. Once again, I'm going to say one, two, three, go. Everybody grab your rope right now. One, two, three, go. And we were just rolling off the black screen at the very beginning because there is like really no opening shit. It's just Christmas Eve, nineteen forty-seven. We see movie so badass it doesn't even mess around with opening logos. It's just it like, does. Let's just get to it. It throw, just throws you right into it. But uh, I, I another thing too, I like this movie. I don't know if you go down this road with me, Trev, but it, like this is one of my favorite like photograph films of this time period like just the film stock the lighting i think this movie's actually like really artfully done yeah i mean it's not that well this is what 1980 right it's not yeah. that common to see like the these like kind of cheapo horror movies at this time look this nice right uh, i think we're more used to it. there's a certain look that all those early slasher films have right and this definitely looks a little better hey this is like kind of this is like uh, you know we did pieces before yep. this is in the same vein of pieces of like kind of a slasher film that starts with a flashback to like the 40s and 50s exactly uh, showing the, the early childhood trauma of our, <laughs> I think, of our I think, killer I think, yeah, I think Pieces was Boston 1942 or something. This is just Christmas Eve yeah. 1947. And like we said, like the photography is really good. We're watching um, a couple young boys and their mom on the stairs, like kind of hiding, being sneaky, watching Santa come down the chimney. And it's like we said, like you kind of have to see this movie to see what we're talking about. But there's even like a quick, like almost like little sped up shot of them coming down. Like, like it's all shot in a very magical way. But one thing that, that like really mm-hmm. like, I think is bizarre here is like 
Instead of leaving milk and cookies for Santa, Trevor, you notice they left like milk and butter and bread, and Santa's just eating plain bread with his milk. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's just a look at that. There's just a loaf of white bread right there. And they also put out like a little bowl of water for him to dip his fingers in a bar of soap. But uh, yeah, that was I didn't know if that's like some like old tradition that I wasn't aware of or what. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. But um, yeah, just just really like I mean, obviously I don't know what Christmas nineteen forty seven looked like, but I mean just the period, the time period of this house. Yeah, Santa he does a little thing where he touches his nose and he winks. And he flies back up the chimney, which I thought was cool too. That's what I. I it's cool, but it's kind of like it makes no sense. Right? Yeah. Well, the way I always took it is like you're looking at it through the eyes of the child of a child, like all the magic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Then there's that strange cut there where the family just disappears from yeah. the staircase too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is a little weird, and, no, and none of the rest of the movie is really filmed in this style too, which is like you know. No, but I think you're right that it, even beyond the way the film is shot, like so, this is directed by Lewis Jackson, who I don't know too much about. I'm not even sure if he went on to do much else, but uh, and written and directed. By him. This is his last movie, so. But this is this is like a really artistic film for what it is. There's a lot of interesting like editing going on in this, and kind of just like you know with the the, the pacing and general tone of it. Um, that's why I think you and I both you earlier said it's just it's it deserves more credit because I think it gets lumped in with like a lot of kind of hacky Christmas horror slashers, and I enjoy a lot of those too. But this one is definitely little there's a little more thought put into it obviously yeah and i mean it definitely reaches some heights of absurdity don't get me wrong but but at the same time but this is no silent night deadly night no which which, i mean i enjoy but yeah like silent night deadly night was my holiday jam until i got a hold of this and like this is like the movie i actually watched actually get me into christmas because the atmosphere is so good the the theming is actually much closer to christmas now here we here we have yeah. the, the the older of the the two boys I guess he comes down he sneaks back downstairs and he sees Santa like like uh, groping his mom's garter and uh, yeah I'll be honest it actually took me a few times to really see this movie understand what's happening here so like this is where he kind of figures out that it's, there's really is no Santa Claus right like he yeah. re- he realizes it really is just his dad yeah like the the, the illusion of Santa has been shattered for him now yeah. So he goes up into the attic and he plays with a snow globe, but then he gets pissed because now he realizes it. he keeps replaying in his mind his mom getting groped by Santa. And what's he going to do here in a second? He's going to smash the shit out of this thing. And then he picks it up, cuts his hand. Which, uh, I always thought the hand cutting part, like of the kid, was a little strange, but... I guess this kid was supposed to be a little it's off. Not, it's not really something that comes back later either. Like mm-hmm. the idea of like self harm or anything. No. But I mean, it seems like it's all there just for that shot of the blood kind of falling on the snow of the house in the snow globe. Yeah. And Trevor. Produced by Edward Pressman. That's a I name know. You, uh, you know, genre fans will certainly recognize. Do you also get the title card that says this movie's called You Better Watch Out? Yes, I do. Indeed. Okay. Yeah, I've but, only ever seen it with that title card. Yeah, that, but but I've always known this movie as Christmas Evil, and that's what the box says. It's just a little. It's a little weird that uh, that the, <laughs> the the main title of the movie is not really. I don't know. And we should say that uh, John Waters, the great shock filmmaker, said this is the greatest Christmas movie ever made. 
Mm-hmm. He, prov- he, pro- he provides an audio commentary on the Blu-ray. That's right. I might have to listen to that. I probably won't get to it till after Christmas, but I want to hear his version. You know, something, uh, if we can deviate for just a second, and God knows you and I have digress- digressions a lot, but uh, I wish that's something that more like companies would put thought to is having filmmakers do commentaries for movies that aren't their own, you know, yeah. kind of like a, like a guest commentary. I've always liked that idea. You see it pop up here and there, but... Well, I mean, obviously it's like, you know, especially if you could get somebody famous, but but really just anybody, anybody who's made like one or two kind of decent genre films, if you can get them to especially talk about these older films that may have like influenced them, I think that's like yeah. pretty interesting, you know. I mean, obviously John Waters is like interesting talking about anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, yeah, because I know he's also done one for uh, Mommy Dearest, which he's also obviously obsessed with for all, for all the camp reasons, but... Yeah. So here we jump to present day, which is, I guess, either 1979 or 1980, if you believe that this movie takes place in the year it comes out. And here, here we have, uh, you know, that young boy that we saw. Now, modern day, instead of, like, his psyche, whatever, because he didn't believe in Santa Claus anymore, he actually, you know, instead of just shunning it for good, he actually goes the opposite and fully embraces Santa Claus. Like, he loves Santa Claus more than anything. Mm-hmm. Like, his entire... Uh, and this is where we start... I was just gonna say his Go entire ahead. apartment is like head to toe Santa Claus shit. <laughs> yeah, we see he sleeps in a Santa. He sleeps in Santa Claus PJs. Um, you know, it's just really jump, jumping into it. But this is where we start to get a sense of what you and I were alluding to, and that beyond just being, this is not a simple slasher. This is really more of a kind of a twisted character piece and like a psychological study. I don't want to say like you know this isn't Henry Portrait serial killer or anything, yeah. but it's like it's in that vein of like we're spending all of our time with the killer. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's the threat of the film, but he's also a fairly sympathetic figure to us, I suppose, oh, yeah. because we know we we understand how he got to this point, and even we see how he's driven to what he does later in this film. Um, but yeah, so it's not like this isn't the typical stock stock and slash, uh, oh. you know, this era. Instead, it's like it's really trying to say something. And then, as you said, so you were talking about the theming of it. It's you know a lot of Christmas horror. So, well, I'm sure we'll talk about some other Christmas horror films while we're doing this, but a lot of them just use Christmas as the kind of backdrop um, and like the accoutrement of everything. And they go, oh, wouldn't it be funny if our guy, you know, dressed like Santa? But this is a movie all about the idea of what Santa means and what Christmas means and then placed into a horror context, which I think is why it seems like, like you said, it makes sense that you would watch this to get into the mood. Exactly. And I mean, obviously he goes on his spree on Christmas Eve and Christmas. But the thing is, is, like, his behavior, like, he lives this shit 365 days a year. Like, here he is. Like, this is what, this, like, this time period right now the movie's in, like, he, it's a little bit before Christmas, a month or two before. He's literally on the rooftop spying on all the neighborhood kids, you know, keeping track of who's naughty and who's nice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's, like, I, what I like about the movie, too, is, like, early on, because you don't really know kind of what his personal coda or his his limits are or whatnot. Like, um, you might be thinking that he's actually going to be like a child killer or something. But I mean, as, as you go on, like you realize, like even the kid that he hates, uh, Ma Santana here, cause he's so naughty. Here he is, Ma Santana. He sees him through the window, cutting out the center folds of the playboy, or I think it was actually the penthouse magazine. Like he actually just wants to scare him. Like later on, there's a whole scene where he does something to, to scare, you know, he's trying to scare him straight. He's not. He's not a child murderer or whatever. He just, you know, yep. 
He's flipping through. He's even got the book like Santa Claus. He, he had numerous volumes like by year. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, I just kind of like that. That uh, like, I definitely think this movie too try to take a lot of cues from Taxi Driver. Wouldn't you say, Trev? Oh yeah. I mean, I think a lot of, around this time, certainly a lot of people were trying to now go for that kind of more. I mean, to say realistic for some of the stuff that happens later is funny, but more realistic like portraits of of damaged people. Yeah. Maybe Todd Phillips will remake this someday. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Although the uh, the protagonist here, he he might be he might be a little young for uh, Todd Phillips. Todd Phillips really likes his his, <laughs> his his major villains to be all gray haired and chain smoking and hung over and shit. This this guy he he might live too clean right here. <laughs> this thing uh, so he, this this girl Susie Lovett. Um, there is a weird like you know, and the movie doesn't go as far with it as I thought it would, or maybe that's a good thing. But the the one area where it does start to get very uncomfortable is this kind of this particular obsession he has with this young girl. Mm-hmm. To where later on we even see he's got like a like a picture of her that he keeps like in his desk, yeah. and that's where you start getting to. Oh, there's like subtle undertones of pedophilia but it's because like you said like the movie i think wants to play him as like more innocent yeah but because he's the bad guy because he becomes a killer you can't help but watch the movie and think about this and the fact that he's spying on her while she's in the bed like yeah playing with her dolls it's it's really uncomfortable yeah and it's, i guess i guess it's kind of similar to to like silent night deadly night like you never knew what billy in that film would do or not do but in the end he actually ends up not harming any children and in that one i think it's just more that he doesn't happen to come across any naughty children but in this one our main mm-hmm. character harry i don't think he would harm a child like i think he wants them to like learn their lesson and be good whereas the adults i feel like even though like it doesn't really explicitly state it or whatever i think he's like more triggered by adult behavior than anything because it's like yeah because it's it's really the adults that like like kind of you yeah, fuck with him and bully him all the time so, and in fact, with this scene here, so here we go to the, the toy factory, which he works at, yeah. um, which what Toyland is that jolly time and jolly time. Yeah. And we learn. So this is one of the, I think, most interesting things and most unique things about this movie is that nine times out of ten, when you watch a movie like this, the guy who we know is going to become a killer is like so clearly unstable. And he's like, you know, uh, this bizarre, like weirdo that everyone is like afraid of or nervous around. And I think what's super interesting about this and probably, again, more in the realm of realism to what we know about, you know, people who snap and things like that is that for a lot of this movie, Harry is a pretty normal guy who, you know, we see he's actually been recently promoted his job. Um, You know, he's actually like a boss there now. He seems fairly well liked in the sense that, like, you know, they're not making fun of him or anything. This guy, he has a an employee now who's taking advantage of him in a sense. But. You know, everyone's not like, oh, God, here comes that weirdo Harry. He really passes as, like, a normal, everyday guy for uh, most of his outward, you know, life in this. Yeah, and it, it, it's like, except for the one guy who really does screw him over, it's, you know, it, it's kind of more just like they're all busting balls on Harry. But, like, mm-hmm. he, he ends up, um, the guy that takes advantage of him, he makes up some excuse why he has to leave work. So Harry has to go out and, you know, end up working his shifts on the toy line, which, like, Harry doesn't mind because that's what he used to do. And, it, like, you get the sense a little bit that he loves it or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, he gets made a fool of eventually. And then, you know, that's one of his main triggers or whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I was shocked to read that. Okay, so allegedly, I don't know, because I don't know how, like, you know, 
true the facts are regarding this movie is but supposedly they filmed this in a real toy factory and i just found it so hard to believe because the setup is like so basic with these conveyor lines and shit you know what I mean? like, yeah it really does it make, it kind of makes you laugh because it really does look like the the like the basic toy production line it's in like every really old movie about santa claus yeah. where they're making like the worst toys and it's because you know you talk about this, so this guy's like oh harry i can't work tonight someone really needs to take my place in the line and then you watch it and you're like really does someone need to be there to snap those two things into place i'm pretty sure the next guy could pick up the slack in the yeah, line. there's actually tons of people on the line and all they do is like kind of the mm-hmm. conveyor belt very slowly goes down with the with the toy pieces and they kind of just hand assemble them there's no real screwdrivering that we see there's no gluing no nothing you know serious like that yeah I, I would love to have some kind of like reproduction or something of the Jolly Time art that they put everywhere of like the Santa Claus saying if it's not a Jolly Time dream, it's not a dream worth having. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that would be cool. Or even some of these toys would be kind of cool to have. Yeah. I don't know what the deal is with that, like that robot soldier who just holds like a lightning bolt or whatever. Yeah, he's almost like a nutcracker type or something that just holds a lightning bolt. I, I really like the uh, suicide racers here. These just like. They look like the kind of like little uh, motorcycles like you would pull back or they would have that rip string that would like make them mm-hmm. fly forward. They kind of look like that. And then they're just, they're just literally all red or all blue and they just snap the little guy, the little rider guy. I like that everyone has to wear coveralls for this job for some reason. Yeah, I was going to say like I because if you notice the coveralls are green and then it has like a little stripe on it, like kind of like the Jolly Dream like stripe, which is like the candy cane striping. I think that was like intentional just to make them seem kind of bring it more into the like the realm of them being elves making toys. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So here we have Harry uh, walking home from work and uh, he's going to go by a uh, bar and he's going to see all his coworkers in there including that guy that he had to work for because he had emergency or whatever he was bullshit he was laying down and like not only that but like <laughs> it's very convenient he happens to be walking by at the time that the guy's like ridiculing harry <laughs> who's outside the window yeah. watching them in the bar <laughs> great bar name too the odd couple lounge And, like, I mean, I just wonder, you know, especially in, like, decades past, Trev, like, how, how like, true it was. And I think it was, especially back in the day. But how true it was that, like, factory workers would just always, every single day, get off and go to the bar and just, like. Oh, yeah. I would imagine that's still true today. <laughs> yeah, but, see, like, the, that sequence of shots right there, when after he runs away from the bar, like, that's, yeah, that's, there's just, like, an artistic flair to this. With, like, it really the, is. You know, the interesting angles on the sidewalk and just his feet running. And it's almost, <laughs> this is so highfalutin, right? But I want to say it's almost Coen Brothers esque to a certain extent. Like, because I was thinking, it made me think of like uh, some of the Hudsucker proxy or something. No, for sure. And it's like, the best way I can describe it is this this film, um, like, the daytime scenes are a little stark starkly lit like you would expect in a low budget film but anything where it's really nighttime and they can you know there's like an excuse to kind of control the lighting like this shot right here where he's in his apartment it's very norish it's very it's it's, none of it's accidental like it's well lit but at the same time there's a lot of shadows a lot of mood i mean this is definitely like you know I've seen I've seen um, varying figures for the budget of this film, but I mean it, the budget was well below a million dollars, and like like we said mm-hmm. for a movie of that like you know 
not only time period but budget it's like yeah because i mean honestly like last night i watched silent night deadly night which is another like low budget movie and i wouldn't even go as far to say silent night deadly night looks bad or anything but that movie compared to this like this looks like a fucking orson welles movie to be honest with you (laughs) but this one doesn't have linnea quigley's tits in it no it doesn't and especially uh linnea quigley's uh tits that were straight off the assembly line from the looks of it <laughs> Silent Night, Night. <laughs> yeah so here we have he's choking a little doll like I mean he has like a doll house everything like little gnomes all over he's really living that North Pole lifestyle I'd say I guess now's as good a time as, as any to come in with the uh, the most interesting bit of trivia about this actor perhaps I'm, I'm assuming you know this goat but Brandon Maggard, who uh, is our star here and, you know, plays the grown Harry, who Harry Stadling, who becomes our, well, he's always our main character and becomes the killer. You know who his, who his daughter is in real life, right? I, I, I know where you're getting at, but I forgot. Who is it? Uh, Fiona Apple. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So this is a Fiona Apple's real life dad is the, is the star of this film, which always makes me wonder. Cause I, you know, I love Fiona Apple and oh, I this do does too. not certainly seem like the kind of film she would enjoy necessarily, <laughs> no, no. but I'm guessing she's seen this a number of times and I, I was just, I would love to hear her thoughts on this film. Yeah. And Brandon Maggart, like, um, he actually had a pretty long career too. It wasn't like these guys who just do a couple cheap movies. Like, you know, I mean, it was a lot of small parts on TV and other stuff here and there, but I mean, this guy worked a lot. But yeah, when you, when you say that Fiona Apple, they kind of got the same eyes, if you really look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Harry's, we got to mention Harry, he's, he's going and like, I don't even think we really explicitly know who he's spying on. He goes to somebody's house and he looks through the window and he watches this married couple, like pretty much getting ready to have sex on this couch, but it's actually his brother's house. And, mm-hmm. uh, we got to, uh, mention his brother's, um, I think his brother's name is Philip. Uh, his play by the, the, I was going to say late great, but he's not late. He's just great. The amazing <laughs> and incomparable Jeffrey DeMunn. And, like, I love how uh, Harry just has a picture of Jeffrey DeMunn, like, by himself looking wacky, like a picture up on his wall. <laughs> it almost looks like a Jeffrey DeMunn, like, album cover or something. It does. It does. It just, it, there's, like, even the space to put the uh, the text on the corner of, like, where, what the album name would be. But, it's interesting because uh, we're watching, um, watching, watching Harry watch a Thanksgiving parade. And it makes me wonder, like, what, what's Harry, you know, what is Harry like uh, around Halloween time? Is he just, yeah. like, bothered by Halloween because it's in the way of Christmas? Or yeah, If only we could have got that prequel. <laughs> <laughs> now, here we have Jeffrey DeMond. Still time. Hollywood's, Hollywood's prequel crazy now. So. That is true. Now we have Jeffrey DeMond showing, showing everybody how buff he is. He's doing push-ups. Yeah. He's watching his wife put on her panties. Like I'm, I'm a little curious. Like why we had a little bit of beer shop there. I'm curious. I'm kind of curious why um, they wanted to set up how oversexed Jeffrey Demond and his wife was. Because it's not really important. I mean, other than the fact that it justifies the fact that they have two young kids, but it's not really important to the plot at all. Yeah, I think a lot of these like cuts back to like the home life of his brother are are fairly weird. Yeah. Um, before that, for exactly what you're just saying, it's. 
they, they feel unnecessary. But I'm sure Jeffrey DeMunn loves it because, yeah. you know, he gets to look back at yeah. prime of his physicality. Yeah, he's, he's doing push-ups. He's, he's making out with an attractive woman. I mean, the only thing I can really think of besides the whole exploitation angle is I guess they're trying to show you the complete opposite life that he has compared to harry you know what i mean harry's just a loner in his apartment yeah. and shit but i mean I, I guess we're supposed to feel sorry for him but like i think harry's like got it pretty good man he just hangs out eats cereal you know plays with little dolls all day that sounds like a pretty stress-free life yeah it seems to actually like his job yeah and i can never tell if harry lived in an apartment or a house though it looked pretty spacious. It kind of looks like one of those like apartments that's like above a shop or something, you know, in a city. Yeah, yeah I could see that. He's definitely up high enough to spy on everybody out the windows and get up on the rooftop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so here he calls his brother saying, you know, I won't make it for Thanksgiving. You know, he's kind of just, this is the first time other than that time he got mad when he heard the guys making fun of him at the bar. He was like all strangling a doll. But this is the first time where like, you really start to like get the feeling that how much uh, Harry is disconnected from reality, because he's just giving his brother like he's like completely like zoned out, like wide eyed, giving his brother bullshit excuses on the phone, and he's like on the edge of his seat because Santa Claus is like showing up on the Thanksgiving Day parade. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Man, I love Harry's house. I want to go live at Harry's house with all the little Santa Claus dolls everywhere. I was going to say, like, you jump with the, the low budget, and I feel like if they had a higher budget, I think they could probably just have a little bit more Christmas decoration in this place. I mean, I know that there's <laughs> yeah. a, bu- a bunch, but I imagine, yeah. like, if someone making this movie today would probably go, like, super overboard on, on oh, how yeah. Christmassy his, his apartment would be. Like, he would, like, his bed would actually be, like, the sleigh that he sleeps in. <laughs> yeah. And there'd be, like, it was, there'd be, like, no lights other than Christmas lights and things like that. Right, right. I'm actually surprised this film um, has avoided the the remake train, or did, or especially during like the peak of like the the remake uh, phase. Like around the same time, Black Christmas got remade. I'm surprised yeah. no one kind of turned their attentions towards this one. Well, I'm with you too, especially more with the Christmas Evil name. I figure would be you know, because mm-hmm. the Black Christmas name was so um, valuable. They um, they did a, they did like an actual remake in 2006. Changed the plot somewhat, introduced some new killer characters, but for the most part, was very similar. And then the the new movie, which like really, if you read the plot, it has nothing to do with Black Christmas the original. But yeah, but for some reason, like they were just like that's a valuable name, which I don't, I, I really don't think it is Black Christmas. Do you? Because I mean, I don't think the '06 version did good at all. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, clearly it's not that valuable of a name because the new one's not doing that well. I think yeah, the remake it's, it's still did better than this one is. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, I, I think also too you're setting yourself up for disappointment too. When you make a remake, that's just a remake in name only. You know what I mean? Like, I th- like, well, I guess this isn't a good example, but the prom night remake like did well when it came out, but nobody ever like talks about that anymore because the the, the right. previous prom night franchise was so well remembered, but nobody really connects that that remake with it. You know. I kind of like this visual of Harry cutting up the uh, fur coat, and he's, like, hugging it. Did you think that was supposed to be his mom's fur coat or something? 
well, not until you just said that, but now that's going to be my new headcanon, because that makes sense. It works. Because, like, he's chopping the shit out of it to, to put the fur. Like, he's not doing the cheapy Santa costume that he's making. Like, he's, he's putting, like, the legit fur. He's got, you know, foam padding to make himself seem fatter or whatever. I never understood this shot of, of the department store uh, display opening up in the naked mannequins. You know what I mean? I feel like it's just kind of like uh, it's almost like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood-ish, right? Just showing like the the city come to life at night, or something. Yeah. But here, kind of all in like a Christmas sense. And they show like the little Christmas displays of the little teddy bears skating around and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like so now we see him in the, in his garage painting his van, painting this, the Santa sleigh on the side of the van. And this garage is like maybe the creepiest spot yeah. in his house because he's just got a, a bookshelf full of doll heads yeah. yeah like like the really like like you know honestly like the most of the shit in his uh, actual apartment or house like looks pretty you know it's creepy because a grown man has all these dolls and shit but they all look pretty like clean and well cared of but the shit in his garage yeah it's all like dirty doll heads that have been cut off and hanging from the ceiling and shit These good boys and girls books he has made it looks like they like professionally published too yeah so yeah it's weird. Yeah, but see, here's another scene, like, kind of alluding to what I'm talking about, where like the kids see him and they recognize him and start talking to him. Yeah. And it's not played like the kids in the neighborhood aren't like afraid of him or anything. Uh-huh. It looks like they really like, oh, it's Harry, that 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 guy that we kind of joke around with every all the time about this. And, and then yeah. he's not being like scary to them or anything. Uh-huh. He's just, you know, he's engaging with them. It's kind of the thing of, like, he's, like, the grown-up in the neighborhood that, you know, because he has the, the childish spirit. Like, the kids identify with him more as, like, a fellow kid than really even an adult, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he's, like, the weirdo saying There's a little editing snafu there. There's a little small editing snafu where the direction he's looking doesn't match the screen direction. Uh, the, the, when the kid yells that he wants a penthouse magazine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, this is a, yeah, he has that picture of the girl on it, and she's like, hey, yikes. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder if back then, you know, because cause everybody thought more innocently back then, let their kids all run outside and play and shit. I wonder if back then people, like, see that scene of, like, you know, him looking at the thing and all that, like, as creepy as we do now. <laughs> Yeah, maybe not, but that almost that almost makes it think you you could have pushed this even further and to be like because what you just said about how I could see like making a new version of this where you even reveal that he's so trusted that all the parents like let him you know hang out with the kids and everything and yeah. he's kind of like a go to babysitter in the neighborhood and everything. Now I, I think I think here is where we really start to get the insight into Harry and kind of like his mo. So he he runs across the street like completely batshit out of his mind to. Uh, uh, spy on Ma Santana here, and uh, he sees him like, and I thought it was a funny touch too that that uh, the kid is playing with like the toys that Harry makes, like he's got the little gun and the little guy on the uh, the motorcycle, but Harry like literally like goes over there, he rubs his hands in dirt or mud, I guess, rubs the mud all over his face. So he's kind of portraying like a a boogeyman monster, and then he's gonna put his his hands and his face like on the uh, the vinyl siding here to make it look like a monster that was there, and like in an effort to like you know, because like the first time I ever seen this movie, I thought he was really gonna um, have like a score to settle with this kid, 
and would like either try to kill him or would like go after him and the mom would get out of the way or something but it really is just like his sense of uh mischievous like fun here to kind of like torment this mm-hmm. kid or whatever Yeah, it's a movie, then again, this is like a sign of the times. It's a movie that's willing to take its time and actually show us kind of this like slow spiral into, you know, total madness from him. It doesn't just ramp up instantly. No, yeah. And like also, too, um, the mom here is the lady who's the mom on Home Improvement. Like that's oh, like, wow. yeah, the, what's her name? Patricia or something. Clarkson or something, Patricia Clark, something like that. Patricia but, Heaton. Patricia Heaton, is that it? I thought Patricia Heaton was the one from Everybody Loves Raymond. I could be wrong. Oh, yeah, you might be right. No, but, you're, I think you're right. But anyway, uh, yeah. So it's all like, the same. This, yeah. <laughs> this is a great creepy scene here, though, where the little boy notices him in the bushes. And the mom is just like... You know, get in the car, like, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, there's something in the bushes. Like, I thought this was a great little suspense scene. Mm-hmm. And the, and the, to their credit, like, you know, they did get a kid who looked like he would be a little asshole. <laughs> that's what all kids look like to me. Patricia Richardson. That's what it is. Right. And then, uh, also... Can't see anybody's... Can't see, uh... Was so you can't see anybody's breath outside in this movie. No, you, you can't, can't see anybody's breath outside in this movie. So I wonder what time of year it was when they actually filmed this. But what's weird though is like when Harry's like walking down the street, um, uh, like with the groceries and shit. It looks cold out though. Yeah, certainly always looks gray. Yeah. Oh, we saw Moss's breath a little bit there. there that yeah, might have that might have been it. Well. I was going to say it might have been an insert shot, but it kind of looked like he was outside. That's great, too, where she slaps the shit out of him because he's, he's supposedly lying about the monster in the bushes. But also, too, uh, the lady who played Harry's mom in the beginning, I forgot to mention that she was also in the movie Maximum Overdrive. I want to say she was one of the waitresses, but I'm not sure. I have to rewatch that movie to confirm. What a filmography. Those two small roles could probably, she could probably just run the horror convention circuit oh, yeah. for the rest of her life. Yeah. I love his, I love Harry always sleeping in Santa pajamas too. And then there's like that theme of uh, all the little soldier guys too that he has, which will come into play later. Well, actually, it's kind of coming to play now. We, we we see that in his garage. He actually has, like, a, what do you call it, like a smelter or whatever, where he melts down metal, makes mm-hmm. these little uh, uh, metallic statues whatnot. He had a Confederate soldier and a rebel flag. In 2019, Harry would be canceled. He would get the cancel culture. <laughs> But uh, Confederacy was still popular back then, though, because of the Dukes of Hazzard. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, the little hands. So, where do you fall in? Where Sorry, do you fall ahead, in Drew. Christmas horror in general? Where in Christmas horror in general? Where do you kind of fall, Goat? You a you a big fan of Christmas horror or huge huge fan? It's honestly, and I really got into it with Black Christmas. Oh, geez, maybe a good. 12 13 years ago whenever the uh 
Well, actually, before that, I remember seeing Black Christmas uh, in the late 90s on cable. And I want to say it was like on IFC or something. Fell in love with the movie. Then it came out on DVD. Got it, picked it up in whatever it was, the mid to late 2000s. Started watching the shit out of Black Christmas. Then I, um, a few years ago when it came out on Blu-ray, I got into the Silent Night, Deadly Night. And then two or three years ago, I got into this movie because I was like, oh, I'll try this one. And, um... Black Christmas is probably my favorite Christmas horror, like just as an overall movie. But as as far as like a movie that's really about the theme of Christmas, this one's my favorite. Like I, like I really yeah. was not feeling the Christmas spirit because like shit was just like flying by and it was cold and rainy and wasn't that many decorations around town for a while and whatnot. So like I really watched this movie last week to get me into the Christmas spirit and it worked. And it it sounds weird to watch a movie about a killer and whatnot but like if you really watch what i love about the christmas horror trove is it really sells the atmosphere of christmas even more than some of the, like the legit christmas movies out there you know what i mean well, i think you're right that some of them do a really nice job of like actually getting into like the meaning of christmas so like for me and i know it's it's way more modern but it, even it's, even though it's like probably the most recent big entry, but Krampus has become kind of already my go-to yeah. Christmas horror film, and that's and this and the spirit and message of that movie is about as, as real Christmas film as you can get, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I like I like when they I mean, and, and there are others that I do like that are admittedly just more like using Christmas as a setting, you know, something like uh like Anna and the Apocalypse or. Uh, I don't know some of the some some of the older ones too, or something like that. Good. Well, I was gonna say Jack Frost, but I guess he is a killer snowman. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. still, you know, that's just more goofy fun with no real Christmas message or anything. I think Krampus is really cool, and I wasn't even like really that hot on it when it first came out. And uh, I mean, there's still a lot of horror elements that don't really blow me away. But what I like about the uh, atmosphere of Krampus is it really reminds me of a cross between the Christmas spirit of, like, Gremlins and, like, John Hughes movies. Like, not mm-hmm. John Hughes. Chris Col- Well, yeah, actually, yeah, John Hughes a little... I think there's a little bit of that in Uncle Bug, Planes, Trains. But also the Chris Columbus shit, too, like, with Home Alone and all that. I don't know. There's just something about Krampus. Is it Like, whatever... I don't... You know, whatever year that came out, what was it, 2015 or something? That movie does not feel like a 2015 movie. It feels like something from 10, 15 years before that. Yeah. So here we have the Jolly Time Holiday Party. And again, just kind of like, you know, the testament to actually how quality and layered this is. There's actually a lot that goes on in this scene. My favorite part is the little TV in the corner with the like the drunk ass owner of the company talking about how like they're doing all this shit for Christmas, giving all these toys away to these orphan kids, but they also want the uh the employees of Jolly Time to kick in some money too, which is like, you know I always think that's kinda of distasteful when a big company <laughs> asks the employees to give up their wages to do a charitable thing. And like I don't know I don't know mm-hmm. like how much you connect with this Trev, but there's like this um video playing that I took to be like a uh, kind of spoof or recreation of a famous Geraldo Rivera report that was about some yeah, of the uh, where he went to the, uh, yeah, the mental the home. Mental home, and they showed like the the retarded uh, children. Um, I guess back then, like you know, schizophrenia, 
people with Down syndrome, whatever, like they would take these kids that were either the families gave them up or they just couldn't care for them and they would like let them run like these, I don't know who ran them, the state, the city, the whatever, but they were really like deplorable conditions where like just people with, you know, like various, like multitude of, multitude of different mental illness things would like just be like walking around naked for days, just not cared for at all. And I, I thought this movie was like pretty ballsy and kind of just bring that into the, that this company is kind of like, you know, bringing up this topic of this like children's home and the, all oh, we're going to do like the toys, but like, it's it's just not up and up at all. And and I like that Harry actually put some depth on Harry's character that he actually calls out the other management guys, how the charity thing is just a big scam. You know what I mean? And then he gets um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of motivated to to actually make it right because he's asking, you know, well, how many kids are there? Like, is everybody going to get a toy? And they're like, we don't know, Harry. It's just it's all for PR, basically. Which which for a movie from like 1980, you know, I thought was very savvy and interesting. Yeah, and that's where we get back to what we were saying about Harry and this film being just a little deeper in general. Is that this isn't the you know it's the old cliche, the old trope of oh the guy snaps and is just like now evil. But I mean, yes, Harry snaps. Yes, Harry murders people. But if you can allow yourself sympathy for a villain in a film, everything he does is always motivated by he really is upset that people are doing bad things around Christmas time right. and are like you know kind of taking advantage of others and, and not living up to this, like this spirit that he thinks everyone should have around this time of year. Yeah. So he, he basically goes and rubs the, or, or robs the production line of all the toys, you know, and he basically steals a bunch of toys from the factory. And uh, later we'll see who will actually go and give them all to the, you know, the orphanage or the, the mental uh, Institute for children. So like, yeah, it's like, like that's what I like. That's why this one, as far as I like, get into the, the theming, of the holiday i like this one the best because there actually is like you know a couple different scenes of him actually doing like real life santa shit making kids happy and like i don't know like i just like that you know and it's like you know you can't excuse any of the bad shits harry harry's doing for sure because it's all you know it's all you know it's for the most part it's really not justified and it's all over the top but at the same time like you can appreciate the good things that he does do and the fact that he actually does want to be santa claus like he wants there to be a real santa claus and he wants to be it you know now knowing that no knowing this one has like a a slightly you know to some degree sweeter message as 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 that sounds and knowing that it's not quite as brutal as some of the other films this time i'm not sure about this but maybe you know go to did this film receive any of the same like backlash publicly that silent night deadly night did or you know, I, I don't. For think, having like a you know a, a killer Santa. Yeah, I don't think it really did. And 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 this one, as long as well as I haven't seen this other film, but there was another one that came out either the same year or maybe a year later, a David Hess one, "To All Good Night." Like these movies really flew under the radar. Like as far as I know, there was no backlash against this movie. I mean, I could be wrong. I could listen to the uh, commentary and hear some shit, but I I don't think so because. I mean, they they just kept um, they just kept uh, re-releasing this thing under different titles, I guess, in different markets or whatever. And uh, they never, in any of the marketing, they never downplayed the Santa aspect, like at all. If anything, like that's pretty much what they marketed it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, if I had to I take, why? A- what do you like? I wonder why? Like, 
Go ahead. Now, the, the only thing I can think of why, Trev, is, is this was a pretty independent movie where Silent Night, Deadly Night was actually an experiment from TriStar Pictures where, where they wanted to get into the B-movie game. So they do, so Silent Night, Deadly Night is, is actually a, a studio film. And I think what the difference was, was probably the difference was this movie was playing in, in drive-ins and grindhouses and Silent Night, Deadly Night was put into like the multiplexes, you know what I mean, in neighborhood theaters. Mm. there was this time though in like the early 80s or so where like christmas horror really kind of like in particular like kind of santa slashers right really kind of yeah had, had a big had a big moment there and you think, that, you think that's just born of you know like christmas horror right as an idea is that just horror fans not willing to be to give up this genre after october or is it more you know, just the. What do you think? What do you think is like the root of that? Do you think it is that for a lot of people, Christmas time is so stressful and kind of scary that it's just a natural byproduct to say, "Hey, we can also tell horror stories." Then is it the idea of the Santa myth is actually kind of messed up if you think about it? This guy comes into your house at night, and you know, it, it lends itself to this. What do you What do you think gets at the gets at the root of why we have so many of these? Like honestly, I think, uh, and I actually even said this. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much four years ago to this day, believe it or not, on uh, when me and Corey covered Silent Night, Deadly Night. But I think it's just the idea that Christmas... It, like, if you really think about Halloween and you really think about Christmas, like, Halloween comes and we talk about ghosts and goblins, but we don't really, like, pound it in the kids' heads that all that shit is true. Whereas, like, everybody, until they're, like, 10, 11 years old, everybody's told that Santa is real, and he has magic flying reindeers and all this. And I think it's just that thing of, like, there's so much magic. And, you know, like, even beyond the Santa myth, you know, the spirit of Christmas and all this, like, I think it's just because there's so much um, supernatural, like, you know, fairy yeah. tale. I mean, the most... In the most in the most endearing classic fictional Christmas story is a ghost story, you mm -hmm. know, so. Yeah, I think it's definitely the holiday. I mean, obviously, I, I think a little bit of just the straight-up slasher aspect of these films is just more the shock value of seeing a guy in a Santa suit. Like, let's be honest, like, that's just more of a marketing thing. But as far as, like, the idea of making something like this film or even way later making something like Krampus, I think it really is that, like, Everything we're taught, all this fairy tale Christmas kind of stuff, it's it's all it's all born out of ancient uh, tales and traditions, and like that shit is scary. Like you know all the old time stuff. Like it's it's really scary. And like I was like I was never a kid who grew it up grew up afraid of clowns or anything or like nothing like that. That's why like to me like when everybody gets so freaked out about it and all that, I'm kind of like eh, whatever. It's a clown, but. For Santa stuff, like, if you look at, like, the really old-time, like, you know, hand-drawn Christmas cards and stuff, like, there is a, a kind of, like, eerie quality to a lot of it. So now we got it. It's really Christmas Eve. He's in the full Santa suit, everything. You know, we saw... We saw uh, Mars Garcia? What was I saying? Moss Santana? Mars Garcia? Is that his name? <laughs> or Moss Garcia? I think it's the, the, the little asshole. Moss Garcia. Yeah, yeah, Moss Garcia. I think Moss Santana is like a wrestler or something. I don't know what I was thinking. But yeah, he actually he actually went earlier in the film. There's like a really quick shot of him digging up dirt. And he actually left uh, 
uh, Mars Garcia a big pile of dirt with like a, a hand drawn like note on it. <laughs> now this is pretty much my favorite part of the movie where he, he draws he drives up to the uh, the mental institution and like that that opening shot where they're going up the driveway that like when they cut in here I think this location is obviously like a not a set set but it's you know it's a different location like a warehouse or something but that big driveway shot of him driving up the mental institution, I think that was totally stolen, guerrilla style, that shot. Because even the lighting, it wasn't quite dusk there. And now it's like complete darkness here. And of course, uh, I don't know if we talked about, he paints a uh, Santa sleigh on the side of his panel van, which now in 2019 we would refer to that as a rape van, wouldn't we, Trev? Yes, we would. <laughs> I mean, especially. I mean, I think a regular white van is a rape van. Yeah. Uh, a white van with Santa's sleigh painted on the side is a mega rape van at this yeah, point. Yeah. Big time. Like but this is great. I do love how like how fairy tale esque this this scene becomes. You know, sense. Because yeah. this is this is the first time where he's really you know talking to someone. He's in the suit. He's really interacting with somebody. He's trying to get his ho 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 going and all that. He interacts with this like super like eighty year old guard who you know comes out to see what he wants and you know he's got the the gifts and all that and you know first the old guy kind of just like wants him to go away and stuff and I don't know I just like like this is I think this is my favorite scene of the movie actually right here just this because like you know this being a a horror movie whatever I mean he hasn't killed anybody yet but we we've seen he's clearly you know not all there mentally. <laughs> We expect this to go wrong, and you know, but he's totally, you know, mm -hmm. just all about the Santa Claus thing and wants to give the gifts, and he's, you know. Well, that's exactly what I like about it. Is that's you're hitting at exactly what I like the idea that when you watch this, of course, you're like, oh no, what's going to happen? He's going to have to end up murdering these people, and instead, it just actually plays out. And there's even scenes later, like after he starts kind of murdering people, where we still get some moments where. The Santa, the Santa aspect of him still comes out too, and it's not just all like, oh, now he's now we're in the murder part of the film, right? And it's totally like, I mean, obviously we don't know fully everything that's going on in Harry's head, but um, we should refer to his like famous line that he always puts on about, you know, finding his tune and singing his tune, and like you know that whole thing is like you know his idea to become Santa Claus and stuff. But like at this point in the story, I really don't think he went out this night, you know, with any clear intentions to, uh, you know, do any, like really hurt anybody, to be honest with you. I mean, there's no way to know that for sure, but I mean, that's the feeling I get. Yeah. And here we have like the Christmas magics kind of ramping up. It actually starts snowing. He starts doing more ho, ho, ho's. Now all the nurses come out and they're going to see the, like, the completely full, you know, van he is with all the wrap presents. Just, I don't know, like, I just, I just think all of this stuff right here is great and plays great. And, like, like for a low-budget movie, like, even, like, the, a lot of the smaller players, I think, are pretty good in this. Yep. I, kept, I think I kept calling it Jolly Time. I think it's actually Jolly Dream might be the name of the company. Yeah, I think it's Jolly Dream is what's on the boxes. I mean, you're not getting you're not getting any of the names right tonight. Yeah, I'm like all you think you think I was half in the bag or something. 
I, I did buy a bottle of uh, alcoholic eggnog this year, but I haven't cracked it open yet. That will probably be tomorrow when I get off work early. One of the orderlies who ran up to grab the presents looked like Ryan Johnson. Did he? <laughs> oh, Ryan Johnson, he's always, uh, you know, somewhere. In he's the... always sneaking around somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And one of the nurses uh, looked like but, the, one of the ladies. I don't think it is, but it looks like one of the ladies from Silent Night, Deadly Night worked at the toy store. And, like, also, too, like, the people just loving him and, like, the one lady, you know, nurse hugs him, kiss him on the cheek and all that. I think I did see Ryan Johnson back there. Good thing, good thing Lewis Jackson wasn't taking his advice and subverting expectations with this film. <laughs> I'd say we'll, we'll we'll get to the end. I think that might be an example of subverting expectations. But. <laughs> Maybe that's a good question. Like, do you think Ryan Johnson has uh, any interest in like like gutter horror movies like this? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, as someone who, like as someone who I know is just a huge cinephile, I, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, I would. I would. I would bet Ryan Johnson would definitely talk to you about like goofy exploitation horror and then like kind of horror classics for a long time whether he has any interest in making them i don't know but i've listened to enough interviews of them to know that he's kind of got that same like he's got that tarantino kind of thing going with for him where he's just he knows like everything about cinema yeah um i know he like moved to la and specifically made sure he moved somewhere that was like within walking distance of uh the the, the one of those famous theaters over there so yeah mm-hmm. he's, just, he's just that kind of person but yeah, because he's, he's only a couple years older than us, so he he had to have like, seen a lot of this shit mm-hmm. on cable and at the video store we did. So here we come, Harry comes to church, and I never could quite figure out why he comes here other than, like, his his bosses and the management are there. And, like, maybe he was going to give them a present, because he has a bag of presents, but there's, like, these real, like, kind of, like, I think hilariously stereotyped yuppies who first come out and they see Santa Claus that come out of the church. They start like bullying them pretty hardcore, like making fun of them and saying all this shit. Now this is like where everything snaps. And like, I think this kind of shows that like Harry, like, I don't know. He has some weapons here. What do you think? Do you think Harry meant to go out on a killing spree here? He gouges this guy's eye. No, I don't think so. I mean, like, I think you're right. That that's that wasn't the intent. But then, I don't want to say these people bring it on, bring it on themselves. Because I'm not gonna be that. Uh, I would probably be that him. sympathetic to the killer. Yeah, I would probably kill him if I was. <laughs> <laughs> like not even if I was Harry, just if it was me, I'd probably kill him too. But yeah, like there is like, something weird too about that scene. Like we start, there are there are a lot of we are getting into moments now where, like we said, when I talk about like the magic realism of this film to a certain degree, mm-hmm. like it's it's always it never goes like super fantasy, but like. Even the idea of, like you said, all these people coming out of church and them all just standing there in one group and kind of like mocking this guy doesn't yeah. feel very realistic. No, because it, it pays he, off with, yeah. you know. Yeah, it, it certainly pays off with him just like slaughtering some of them in front of them. And I actually think like, you know, obviously that, that seems not as like intense or gritty as you would get from a horror film today. But there is something just really kind of unnerving about like a murder, like murdering four people in front of a group of people like that. Right. Um, and it's it's. It's fairly brutal. I mean, the, that's actually a fairly. It's very quick, but the the effect of the toy bayonet going into the eye. Oh, it's great. It's like obviously yeah. the first shocking bit of violence in this movie, and it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Fifty minutes in, he finally like you know 
fuck somebody up. But like there, like you said, it's not really realistic. Like you have this like this huge set of stairs, and everybody's kind of bunched right in the middle. And then the people come out, and everybody's just kind of like watching, like what's going on? Like why are these people fucking with Santa Claus and all that shit happens? I don't know why, but that scene like always played like very classic to me. The like the lighting with the globe lamps in front of the church and stuff. Like it like that scene in particular always played like like really like classic almost like miracle on 34th street and like you know i don't know how much of that was the intention with the low budget and probably the quick shooting or whatnot but it it definitely does like for a second feel like it's going to be like you know i think especially too he's lewis jackson sets you up nice because you saw him at the orphanage being like literally having the santa claus spirit and then that happens with the guys bullying him shit because i mean he he seems pretty like downtrodden now like after he, he you know he ran away he jumped in the van drove away like he seems like pretty like crestfallen like yeah i don't i don't get the impression at all that he enjoyed like what happened you know mm-hmm. but well that's what i mean like it, you know i think most filmmakers at this point now for the rest of the running time we would just be watching him go on this like kind of crazy murder spree but but he doesn't do that and so instead we go right to this scene which is like a, a quite a shift in tone from the murder spree we just got and that's what i love about this film is that it's like no there's still a bit of good in him too that's like still trying to get it out as well because he's still santa to some degree yeah i mean don't get me wrong like harry you know even before he killed somebody he should have been in a mental institution you know because he is capable of this violence but like i just think it's interesting that he's just a guy who's been pushed to the much edge and that's kind of is almost like going back to the almost a little bit of the taxi driver theme, you know. Here we get the the great Mark Marcolis, who a lot of people remember from Scarface, but also from, he had a pretty pivotal role in this TV show Breaking Bad. He's got a tiny role here. Him and this other guy, they come out, and, like, they see Harry, like, peeping in the window. Like, we should say this is, like, a, it's, like, some friends and families or something organization. I don't know what it's really supposed to, like you know be akin to but it's basically just a bunch of people having an office party with a couple kids sleeping in the corner and uh these two guys like you know obviously everybody's kind of loaded here and they 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 go in and they they go outside they see him in the window they kind of pull him hey santa claus come on in here you got to come in the party but so like for a second there like it almost looked like there were going to be some bullies too and maybe get the the axe to the head or whatever but uh, it actually turns out all these people really are excited to see Santa Claus. And I kind of like that. You kind of get the, uh, obviously, the children run up here. But you kind of get the complete opposite reaction than what he had outside the steps of the church. And, you know, like you said, you yeah. see the good in him because he goes right back into being Santa Claus again. And I like this scene, too. Back this point is, is... No, go ahead. Go ahead. If I was to say, if this film was made today, uh, I'm sure it would be, like, people would write, read this, like, so much more political, right, about who he's murdering and who he's not, like, and you could obviously, like, run with it that way, but I like that it seems so apolitical. It's not about him, like, killing the rich or anything like that. It's no, just, no. he really is just, like, if people are, if people are dicks, then, you know, it's, that's, that's what ultimately gets to it. And, and yeah, it's like here, like, all of a sudden we kind of get the police, uh, presence a little bit like it kind of cuts back and forth between this party and then the like the mob scene all the traumatized people back at the church the cops show up i just wanted to point out one of the cops was played by this guy uh raymond j barry who's famous he paid he played the asshole uh father in walk hard the dewey cox story he's the guy's been in a ton of stuff 
in uh, I can't remember. Was he the dad? Wasn't he the dad in Justified as well? Let me look that yes. up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. Is. yeah. He is. Yeah. Uh, what was what was the character's name? Raylan Given, his father. Oh man! It's, oh god! It's so long That's since gonna I bother me. Yeah, he was great on that show, though. Yeah, he was. But I thought it was—I thought it was great. You know, we got Mark Margolis. We got this guy. We like, we we get you know obviously the mom, the kid's mom who went on to be in Home Improvement. So we kind of have some you know, those kind of you know makes these movies fun to look back on. You see these people in these tiny, tiny early roles that went on to have a career. Harry is dancing his ass off at this party, man. Like this is, like this part. If he just could have went straight to this party and you know from the orphanage and, and avoided that whole like uh, shit show or whatever. <laughs> but he kind of does do a speech to the kids about you know you know be good and listen to your parents and all this kind of stuff. And I like this scene too because like it gets a little awkward because like you know mm-hmm. like everybody kind of gets quiet and and like you kind of don't know which way Harry's gonna go with this. Like, you think maybe something uncomfortable is going to happen and some more shit's going to pop off. But it's really just that he's, like, like like I said before, he's really just, like, using the Santa Claus persona, I guess, to uh, instill in the children to be good and whatnot. And, like, like yeah, like he walks is, right up to that. He, like, walks right up to the line of going of going too far with it, but doesn't. Yeah, because because he actually gets creepy here, whereas, like, where he went to the orphanage, he really wasn't creepy at all. They were kind of like, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, the guard was or whatever. But, like, with this, yeah, he gets a little, like, I won't even go as far as say sinister, but he gets a little to where, like, he seems like he's starting to go, like, nutso a little bit. And you don't know which way it's going to go. And then, he, then, then like, he gets real quiet and he breaks the silence with that big, like, you know, he lets out the hearty, ha, 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 like, Santa Claus laughter and shit. So th- this, this scene is actually my second favorite um, scene in the whole movie. And, and like what we were talking about before, I, I think that's the difference between like doing this movie right and kind of doing it schlocky. Is I don't even go as far as to say the sympathy, but like it makes you wonder like how Harry could have turned out. Is like a much of a weirdo and traumatized guy is as he is. Maybe if he just would have fallen into like with the right crowd or the right people, you know, maybe he wouldn't have ended up this way. Mm-hmm. And I love no, I mean, this, uh, like the the the, the schlocky version of this is certainly Silent Night, Deadly Night. Like yeah. if you why if, if you do this as like a double bill, it's just seeing like the two different approaches, and that, and they're both great. Love them both, but oh, yeah. let I mean, both exist. Yeah. I watch Silent Night, Deadly Night every single year. Like you know, for however, whatever year that that Blu-ray came out, I got it right away, and I watched it every single year. But I mean, th- this movie really, to me, kind of scratches the itch more than anything. I love, I love, I don't know why, but I love the shots of just him inside driving the van and that particular one. He's like, he's like fake cracking the whip on Donner and Blitz and all that kind of shit. So, this is another great set piece. And this is where Harry goes to the, um, the house of the asshole guy who, um, you know, screwed him over at work, made a fool out of him, whatever. And, like, again, what's your take on this, Trev? Like, what was his... He's got a ladder. He's going to try to go down the chimney, all this. What was your take on um, what was he there to do? I mean, to me, at this point, he is kind of... Like, I feel like at this point, he's going in and out of, like, kind of 
the the murder Santa persona because yeah. I don't think he's coming here to do anything good. Yeah, he has the presence with him, but it's like at the same time, it's kind of like why would you go to this house unless like you wanted to fuck this guy up? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I don't know why because I do. Oh, here you go. Here's a nice like subverting of expectations moment, which we were talking earlier. I, I do. I do like the joke here about not being able to go down the chimney, right? Because, because in all fairness, the chimney is tiny. Like it would probably be hard for mm-hmm. a thin person to fit in there. And I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to say like Harry's like you know rail thin he's not but the thing is he actually when he made his suit he put a lot of padding into it to you know to look like the bigger santa or whatever so i mean yeah there ain't no way he's with his padded suit and his fake belly and all that ain't no way he could fit down there i mean maybe a small child could fit down there but and i I think i think this scene could is very well like a scene that a lot of people like would have just for time cut out of the movie but i actually like it just you know with the whole santa claus thing that he tried to go down the chimney and couldn't i don't know i think because he, he like legit gets stuck here <laughs> and you're kind of like oh shit like you know because everybody the cops at this point are after him everything you're like is this how he's going to get caught you know maybe uh maybe steven spielberg and joe dante saw the scene and that's where they got the inspiration for the, oh. the gremlin story yeah about phoebe kate's dad uh, doesn't he slide down and break his neck and then then he gets stuck and they they start smelling the, yes. the bad smell yeah, yeah. De- this definitely would be ryan johnson's favorite moment of christmas evil subverting <laughs> the expectations <laughs> what, what, what is there any other like directors well, we might as well go off topic because he's just stuck in a chimney right now. Is there any other directors that you know of, Trev, that are famous for quote unquote subverting expectations? Well, I should come in as the as the um, trademark Ryan Johnson defender here to just say, like, I also think like that label on him is kind of overdone and, and kind of yeah. annoying, honestly. Um, so, but I, yeah, nothing, no, nobody else I can think of that that gets labeled that way. But even him, I don't think. I think it's just become a lazy like critique of his work when I think he's just doing unique things in different genres. And then people say that's all about some expectations. And I think he would argue and I would agree with him. That's just about like trying not to do the same shit we've seen a hundred times before, which is I think admirable to me, but what do I know? Yeah. Cause I actually, I mean, I haven't seen the new knives out and I haven't seen his second film brothers bloom, but I saw brick, and I and I saw Looper, and I liked Looper a lot. Looper's my favorite movie. And Looper, like, really kind of wholesale borrows a lot of stuff from the kind of the Terminator mythology, and then it kind of mixes in a twist or two with the a supernatural kid. But uh, I never thought of Looper as a subverting expectations movie. You know what I mean? No. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I think you kind of... I don't t- think... I don't really think Brick is either. I think... No. I think Brick is just... You know, merging two genres isn't subverting expectations. It's just saying, hey, let's take noir and merge it with a teen film. So, But, uh, oh, man. I, 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 think, I, think, I think The Last Jedi, I could see why people would bring that up. But I, I do think, like you said, I think unfairly every film that guy's going to make till the end of time, that's like kind of going to be the lens that a lot mm-hmm. of people look through. You know what I mean? Well, and all, all I'll say, I mean, we, we always get into this every single time, but having seen Rise of Skywalker now, yeah. <laughs> I'll just say that uh, uh, subverting expectations is not the worst idea in the world when compared to just flat-out nostalgia pandering. So, 
Yeah, I, 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 I think either. I think subverting expectations or nostalgia pandering when used as a stunt, I don't think is good. Um, I don't think it's a substitute for having, like, a substantial story by any means. Um, so, I mean, I, like, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll agree with you that. I mean, I just, I just think it's weird. I haven't seen Rise of Skywalker yet, but I just think it's weird with everything I've heard that as much as I dislike The Last Jedi, I'm probably going to walk away saying The Last Jedi was the best movie out of that trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because love it or hate it, and I don't really love it, but um, it at least told a story. Even if it was a story not a lot of people... Yeah, well, you know, and, whatever. And, and love it or hate it, it at least felt like a filmmaker who, who was telling a story that they had in mind, you know, right. and that building something to please people. So, yeah. and I, I know I feel you're the kind of person who at least sees how like the, the admirableness of that, even if you don't end up appreciating it. So, I mean, I, just, it, I again, um, and I thought, I thought Ryan Johnson was going to be the guy who saved the trilogy, who gave it a purpose, gave it a direction. And it's kind of like, I think he, I don't even know if you, I don't want to say he failed because I don't think it was his job to even do that. But I don't think he did necessarily that. He did something different. But I just think opening up a whole nother can of worms. I th- I think the way the way JJ opened things with a mystery box and he closed things with a with just a bunch of chasing and nostalgia and just action and whatever. Mm-hmm. He basically made a Michael Bay version of Star Wars. Like I don't know. Like like I I I think that's why I think there needs to be those wholesale changes in the company because it's my personal belief that if J.J. Abrams is allowed to make even one more Star Wars movie, like Star Wars actually will be done for good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it just, a snake can only eat its own tail so many times. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So here, here we have Harry goes in, he gives the presents for the kids now he goes in and he sees his asshole co-worker. He's kind of sad. And it's also bizarre, too, because, like, I never really saw, unless it was in the dark in one of those scenes, because Harry put the, the presents under, like, a like a tiny tree, like something that fits on, like, an end table. And now these people, the parents, like, they have, like, a little Christmas tree over their bed. But, um, but yeah, so it's hard to say if Harry really intended to murder or not here. Like, maybe he thought he could just slip in and give the kid some presents because, you know, this guy was an asshole and wouldn't give his kid good presents or whatever. But, yeah, he's just looking at the guy, you know, with his rage. And then the guy wakes up and... What do you think, Trev? Was that a panic move or was that premeditated that he starts suffocating him with the, the bad yeah, toys? It, to, me it, to me, it feels premeditated because he just, like, goes right into it. I also think it's interesting that the guy wakes up and just, like instantly recognizes him as harry it's like harry and i'm like wow i don't know if that would like in the dark and he's dressed like santa that's kind of kind of interesting but but yeah i guess you could read that way because he says harry maybe he just feels like he has to kill him because this guy knows who he is and he's broke into the house but yeah and it's kind of funny too during that whole struggle the wife like never woke up till the very end and and i guess Mm -hmm. we can say this is a subverting expectations moment I love that, like, like Harry grabs a uh, like a star off this little Christmas tree they have next to their bed, and he slits the guy's throat with it. And the wife wakes up, and I love that moment that the lady's too scared to scream, like she can't get it out at first. She's just like, uh, 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 uh. she's trying to scream, but she can't. 
And then eventually she does start yeah. screaming bloody murder, and that's when Harry runs out. Because the kids see him, and it's like, oh, Santa's at her house. Oh, oh. And then all that, you know, the lady starts screaming. And Harry, and it, and it is notable, too, that he doesn't kill her because she's no. done nothing to upset him. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I, I guess this is one of those things. His murdering is just really based on, um, I don't know, like his uh, his sense of rage and who's who's fucking with them. Yeah, and it's a it's a moral code. Imagine imagine if Harry could have survived this movie and uh, <laughs> done this every Christmas. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I, we are we're not there yet, but I, that's yeah. that's certainly. Are arguable, right? So, yeah, yeah, it is. We we could come back to the well. Now, now here, uh, Jeffrey Demun's kids are uh, playing. They both one has a green one, one has a red one. They have the Sucker Man toy. I think you're too young to remember Sucker Man. You probably don't remember him, do you, Trev? I know. I I know those things. Yeah. So Sucker Man, like that was actually the name of it, Sucker Man. I had a red one. And it was like this, like wiggly toy of like this kind of demon vampire looking thing, and it had suction cups all over it, and you could stick it mostly to mostly honestly. I guess you could do it to windows, but I always did Sucker Man to the fridge. He stick on there. Just goes to show how simpler toys were back then. Do you remember that? Do you remember those things when we were young too? That were like um, it was also a suction cup thing, but you would throw it at like a window or something, and then it would gradually like kind of walk down the window. Yeah, yeah. Like there was always the generic ones, but I want to say there was actually a name brand one called like Wacky Wobblers or something like that. Yeah, like they look like spiders, and you throw them, and they come down. Mm-hmm. Again, the detail in this movie: we have Jeffrey Demon and his wife. You know, and uh, they're watching the news, and we have the fake Geraldo Rivero back. He's doing a report about the murder that happened at the church and the Santa Claus. And Jeffrey DeMunn, like, he instantly knows it's Harry doing the murders, don't he? Well, it's interesting, because I, I think it's definitely, I think you can read it that way, and like, it's definitely insinuating that he, he's suspicious, but I like that they never push it all the way forward, where he instantly is like, that's, you know what I mean? Like, they don't they don't call it out in a sense of... yeah. It is like these news reports are always just something that are kind of happening in the background now, and he's definitely feeling worried about it, but he doesn't instantly go call the cops or anything. No, yeah, he doesn't try to set Harry up or whatever. And I, I, I like how Jeffrey DeMunn's kids, they, what's that cable channel they're always watching? The public domain channel? They always got the, <laughs> the movies from the 30s and 40s playing <laughs> And it's, and it's like, from scene to scene, I don't think it's always from the same movie, because there's some wild shit that they're always watching on TV. Kind of low-key obsessed with uh, Jeffrey DeMond's hair in this movie. I am, too. It's it's just, uh, he, I mean, he's younger, so it's darker. You don't have the gray hair, Jeffrey DeMond. But it's kind of like, um, I guess it was thinning out a little bit, but it's kind of like frizzy. So, like, when he acts, it's like... Well, I guess more than anything, it's not even as that's frizzy. It's like too long, I guess. So every time he moves, yeah. it's like bouncing and weaving. This big hunk of hair is like bouncing and weaving. You know, sometimes it's in the front of his forehead. Sometimes it's swept to the side. I love this too. I also feel he... like Jeffrey Demond's interesting because there's. St- go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Let's talk some Jeffrey Demond. <laughs> well, it's just because like there's certain there's there are actors there are those actors like Tommy Lee Jones or somebody who I always think are just like born old, right? Because you feel like yeah. you've never seen them young. And then you have someone like Jeffrey DeMunn, who I feel like uh, there's like two young Jeffrey DeMunn movies. There's this and The Hitcher. And then I feel yeah. like I don't see him again until he's like 60. 
Yeah, and he starts just being in everything. But you don't see him until, like, um, The Mist or something, and then he's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I don't know why. I think it's just his voice or something. I love Jeffrey Dumont. I hated it when he got killed off Walking Dead. I love that scene, though, of Harry waking up in the van. Um, I don't know, just little scenes of this movie, like, help sell the realism to me. And I love that he drove the van back to the factory. He's just sleeping in the van. He's kind of sleeping, like, in a pile of a bunch of stuffed animals. I don't know why. And he's still in the full Santa Claus thing. The, 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 the beard is still glued on. But he definitely is in the spiral now because, like, he's getting upset about how Jolly Dream makes these cheapest as shit toys. Like, he's breaking all these little cheap-ass toys, airplanes. Just turns on all the the line, toy lines of conveyor belts so they all just go and fall over the floor. So I, th- I think this scene is definitely, just, like, where he's reaching his total, like, mental breakdown. You know what I mean? Even jumps up Go on the I have an interesting bit of Jeffrey... Jeff- Jeffrey DeMunn trivia for you. Oh, bring it on, please. How many how many how many episodes of The Walking Dead do you think he appeared in? It seemed like he would disappear for for like long stretches. I think he made it to season 2 or 3, but I want to say he was only in like uh, maybe 11 episodes. Okay, yeah, he's only in 19. Okay. But that yeah, to me, yeah, like it just feels like he was in so much more. Yeah. But you, I mean, I guess yeah, he was he was definitely out of there by the end of season two. So, yeah, his character was technically a, you know on the show for a while, but he would go long stretches without showing up. And and not even so much. I mean, I think it was a loss because he he's a pretty good actor, and I think he could have done more on there. But I think it was more a loss that he died the stupidest death possible. I mean, he got eaten by zombies, but yeah. it was just... It, do you remember how he got killed, <laughs> Um, I kind of vaguely do. Yeah, it was like in a field or something. There was like a cow that was torn apart, and he kind of like walked up on it, and some some zombies came. I don't know. It just it was really stupid. There, there was oh, no- yeah, I do remember that. I remember the time it seemed like he just wanted off the show because he was upset about... Uh, uh, why is the guy's name escaping me? Darabont, yeah. yeah. He, was, he was upset about Darabont... Uh, leaving so yeah yeah there, i think from what i heard and read uh, i think darabont definitely got a raw deal on that show and uh i mean a lot of people got a lot of raw deal there's been a lot of litigation towards that show from people who worked on it so i i i don't think uh our boy jeffrey demon was just being a prima donna by wanting off that show <laughs> Well, no, and him and Darabont go back like a long ways, yeah. you know, like from like the Blob, even. Oh and, yeah, you know, the, the, the mist and things like that. So, yeah, I totally forgot. Uh, the Mun's in that. Isn't the Mun one of the scientists in that? Uh, I, yeah, it's been a long time since it, but yeah. he's yeah, that's right. I thought he was. I think he was kind of rocking the same hairdo he was in this too, if I can remember. Maybe not as long as in this. This is the longest Demun hair I've ever seen. We should start a podcast, Jeffrey Demun's hair, throughout the years. You will probably get him to be on it. Oh, I think. I mean, you know, I won't. I won't go. I mean, you from, thought he was dead earlier, but other. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say the late great. There ain't they. There's there's a lot that's great. There ain't nothing that's late about Jeffrey Demun. I think his uh, his best years are ahead of him. Again, this is uh, another scene that I feel like kind of pushes this movie a little bit in a higher you know realm is is harry calls his brother who's like 
you know, going crazy because he, he knows some shit's going on. And he tells this uh, whole story, you know, Harry tells him about how, you know, he, he tried to play his tune, but he couldn't get it right and all that. You know, and Jeffrey DeMond's just like, what the hell are you talking about, Harry? Come on. Like, you know, he's trying to, like, talk him off the ledge pretty much. And I love that this, like, fake, maybe it's not fake, maybe it was a real board game, but I love that there's, like, this board game in the back of this, like, office there. It looks like, it looks like he's kind of taking over the main office at the factory. And the board game's name is Lie, Cheat, and Steal. So, <laughs> just shows you how slimy the Jolly Dream Toy Company really is. And then you were mentioning earlier about like the 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 noirish lighting of this film, like mm-hmm. the when the Harry's sitting at the desk in the office, like that that lighting is just great looking. Yeah, I love what Demun's doing here too when he's talking on the phone and he's kind of like almost curled up, almost like in a fetal position, like his knees are to his chest. Just I don't know, like like they're just. Um... There's just the, just the level of acting and even writing the thought that went into it, I think, is uh, pretty commendable in this. Makes it enjoyable, and, you know. Makes it definitely. And we never even mentioned, too, another thing that's kind of bold for like a movie of this budget to do is that, you know, when back a while ago when he glued like the Santa beard to his face and everything, it never comes off for the rest of the film. He keeps no. wearing this costume and has this, this beard on, and it gets progressively dirtier and dirtier, which I don't know if they've means they had to have filmed this in sequence or if they just actually had a really good like person kind of monitoring the continuity yeah. of that but yeah because he's he's pretty clean in the movie until he um he he got stuck in the chimney then you start seeing the dirt and then like when you know the sleeping overnight you start seeing his face getting more dirty and all kinds of stuff yeah so i mean he definitely is a grimy santa and i mean again i think a lot of these things that we're talking about in this movie in terms of um nods to uh you know old timey things because because shit gets like real old timey here in a couple minutes almost like to level frankenstein old timey <laughs> but uh mm-hmm. i love that he's he, he kind of like temporarily wipes out his his van gets it uh stuck in the snow and he kind of gives him excuse to get out and this whole neighborhood is just enchanting him because like the entire like sidewalk is um filled with all these various light up figurines um, you don't see these as much as more, more people do more of the blow up stuff now, but I remember people having, obviously not to this level, but I remember these type of decorations being on people's lawns, light up snowmen, light up Santa sleighs, all that kind did, of stuff. Did you ever, in, did you ever have a, t- in your town or in any nearby towns growing up, one of those areas where like the neighborhood would actually like everybody in the neighborhood would have to like decorate and it would be to the extremes of where then it would become a whole thing where you drive through the neighborhood during Christmas time just to look at the I, lights and it's, it's like you know kind of like almost a tourist attraction I never had that growing up but I actually have that where I live right now um since I lived here there's a yeah. there's a neighborhood uh, about five minutes and it's really like this main house and it's just like it's really two like but there's this one that's just is insane like it looks like a theme park attraction you know what I mean like just the crazy yeah. huge lights music playing and then the one next to it is pretty damn decked out but that neighborhood, like, like, yeah, it's like everybody else, like, and there's like three or four other houses that are pretty like wowzers, but not outrageous. And then just about everybody on that block, yeah, I, we actually haven't driven through there this year, but yeah, like people actually stop and get out and take pictures and shit. Mm-hmm. Did you have one of those, Trev? 
Yeah, there was there. I can't remember uh, the exact name of like the neighborhood, but it was like it's like a really big deal where you would go and you'd actually before you drove into it, you would give a little donation that they would put towards some charity. But then you could drive down the street for a while and like, you know, as you said, like just kind of go really slow and take a look at the over elaborate decorations of every house. Wow. Now, I love this scene because it's to the point to the point where I'm pretty sure if you lived in that neighborhood, you were like obligated to do it. Yeah, that's how this neighborhood up here feels, because I'm just like, you know, honestly, like like I mean, I, I actually love seeing Christmas lights, but like if I live next to one of these people, like with the music blaring, like <laughs> you know what I mean, like all that kind of shit. <laughs> like lights are one thing, but like the music blaring nonstop, and then mm-hmm. the you know the synchronized lights to the you know, and then like they have the full size figures of like Charlie Brown figures <laughs> and shit. But I love this scene here where like you know Harry meets some kids and he starts giving them the presents. And uh, this group of adults that were, you know, with them, the parents, like, this one guy is just, like, a straight-up, you know, talking about film noir, this guy is, like, a 1940s hood, man, with a cap, and he's got a switchblade, and he's just totally, like, you know, wanting the kids to get away from Harry, and they don't, you know, the the kids are, you know, sticking up for Santa, and this guy just really wants to, like, stab the shit out of Harry, like, he don't give a fuck, but uh, I I like this, too, and it, it just, and this is where, like, like I said, I think this movie tries to get even more classic than what it is. It just starts harking back to 1940s, 1950s shit. Because, you know, Harry has yeah, this... Yeah, it feels like uh, like Warren Beatty dressed as Dick Tracy should come out and beat this guy up. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's it's just... I mean, the, that's like no coincidence. I mean, nobody really dressed like this still. I mean, older people, I'm sure, probably did. But, but I mean, this guy's not even that old. He's probably in his mid-30s, maybe early 40s at the most. I love it that he he trips and drops the switchblade, and the little girl gives it to Santa. It's a nice mm-hmm. little moment. Harry tries to run away, but these people want to like attack him. Talk about taking the law into your own hands. Yeah, Harry. And then I always thought it was crazy that this old lady stabs Harry in the cheek with like a a pin that was on her jacket. Yeah, like even it was a really editing, fast escalation, like from these people. I know, lighting the torches, banging on the doors, and like I've seen some people say like this is this part of the movie is like a little hokey and not realistic. But I mean, I, I just I mean, it, somebody would have to really convince me with some facts that Lewis Jackson wasn't really trying to craft like a modern kind of fairy tale with this. You know what I mean? No, I think I think it. I, I agree that it starts getting like kind of ridiculous here, but I think you're dead on in that you actually need it to start heading in this direction for the for the very end to work. Yeah. Because if the very end was just the only element like that at the end of a very serious, dark character study, it'd be even more jarring. Not that that would necessarily be the worst thing in the world. Maybe that'd be like a little Takashi Miike esque or something, but. <laughs> But we start to like we start to slowly go in that direction here, and it sets up the the final shot even better. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's definitely all building up to that ending, which I think is what makes actually the ending work. If the ending just kind of happened out of nowhere, you know, like you definitely couldn't have that yeah. that ending happen at the end of something like Silent Night, Deadly Night. You know what I mean? No. And like I said, this is again to again to use the crazy comparison. Even this, like 
the people lighting the torches and even just the way it's shot and the, the, the shots of their feet running down the street and then just the torches and some of the shits. It, again, it feels Coen Brothers-ish to me. It does. It's just that very, it very is like that. That, that kind of like heightened realism, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I never really thought of it in the Coen Brothers terms, but it really, that is kind of like, as far as modern people, that it kind of is who it feels the most like. Or even like the like the look of this film. I don't know if you're a fan of like the Coen Brothers Sam Raimi film Crime Wave. Oh yeah, but this kind of has yeah. like, yeah, has, this has that vibe to it as well. Yeah, there's just something I don't know, like the the filming style and sometimes the the lower budgets and what, but like, I I think I mean obviously you know all the classics of the 70s, but I th- I think or at least I hope that you know 10 20 years from now people really look back at the the 80s you know in particular some of these better better made exploitation pictures and people really start to like you know get an appreciation of uh kind of the cinematography and filmmaking of this time because like it's pretty it blows me away that like how low some of the budgets were for these films and how talented the people behind the camera actually were you know what i mean Mm-hmm. Now here we come with the tortures, and uh, Harry, um, you know, finally gets his his uh, van out of the snow, and they're all chasing him around as he drives away. That's a that's a good twenty torch mob, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah. Like like were they going to like literally use the? Tor- I think they were going to torch Harry up with them torches. Don't you think so? Oh yeah, I mean, what else are they going to do? Yeah. But you'll never like you'll never not make me happy with a a, a you know a torch bearing mob in a horror film. Yeah. That's, uh, you're always like speaking to my my happy place at that point. It's it's definitely par for the course for sure. Now here he comes back to uh, see his brother finally, and you know Jeffrey Demon, and this is where like I think really the movie also gets good too. Is I I love the stuff between Demon and. Uh, Brandon Maggard here, just like it works dramatically. I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's just he's. It's like he wants to protect his brother, but he's also, you know, he's fearful of what his brother might have done. And you know, he asked him, "How many people did you kill, Harry?" He's more angry than anything. And I always think that that's kind of an interesting dynamic in in storytelling when it's always the little brother is actually the the big brother, if you know what I mean. Like, always looking yeah. out for the older brother who, you know, has problems or whatever. That's a great... Like, like the wig is getting really, like, puffed out and ridiculous now. <laughs> is Jeffrey Demon's wife only wear red in this film? You ever notice, like, every, yeah. every dress she has or, like, lingerie, it's all red. Yeah, everything. I can't remember what the mom was wearing in the beginning of the movie. Maybe it's supposed to all be a callback to that. Maybe De- maybe she wears red because it makes Damon horny because he saw his mom wearing that shit. I do have to say, I, I kind of agree with it. I, I really agree with Damon here in that I, I don't quite, and I, obviously that's maybe the point, but I don't really buy, like, Harry laying this all on his brother, like his his reasoning yeah. for why his brother's responsible is pretty weak sauce. I mean, I mean the yeah because he he really blames it because it because he um, 
Because isn't the little brother in the beginning is the one who who says, you know, that's just dad or something. And he's like, oh, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. So it's actually the the younger brother who, like, knew right away. It was like, you know, all or whatever. But, I mean, yeah, it's it's like, I don't know. Like, like Jeffrey DeMond as a kid, he wasn't, the, he didn't make him go downstairs and see what he saw. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, I guess, you know, even if it would have been the Santa Claus fixation, I guess from what we see from him at an early age, I guess Harry would have had some kind of big hang-up. So, yeah, Damon and uh, Harry, they actually did some wrestling there, and Damon choked uh, Harry out. So he passes out, and he starts dragging him out to his, uh, his putting him in his van. I mean, I I think he just, like, wanted to, like, get rid of him or whatever. Or at the very least, just get him out of the house for the safety of his children and wife and all that kind of thing. But the, but I don't know if you know this, Trev, but this has kind of become a gif right here, what happens right here. Jeffrey DeMunn realizes oh, yeah, yeah. how crazy he's being. And then, like, Harry just, like, in a second here, he wakes up real quick and then just punches <laughs> DeMunn through the window. <laughs> yeah. The one takes it right on the chin. It's a good uh, screen punch too. Like it looks pretty good. Yeah, here he comes. He wakes up. Oh. But the what's what's funny though is the one's doing some like some good acting right before he gets socked too. Oh. That's right up there with Silent Night Deadly Night when Young Billy punches Santa Claus. And here we come. This is the big finale we've all been waiting for. Harry drives away. He's completely lost. He has nowhere to run, nowhere to go. You know, there's like no hope for him. He's either going to get caught or whatever. I love I love how batshit the Mun's going chasing down the street in the snow and everything. Chasing after his van. The mob is coming with the torches. And what's going to happen here? And that's where, again, like the, the fact that the mob is still chasing him. Yeah. So Harry's trying to, uh, you know, swerves to get away. The 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 van goes off a bridge. Jeffrey Demon falls down a fake snowy hill. He looks up. He sees Harry's van flying away. Harry's like got his eyes wide open, and here we see that the van is actually flying through the air. We get the uh, I think it's the last line to uh, the night before Christmas. Harry quotes it, and you know, I guess really he more just the narration. He quotes it, and yep. The van flies away up to the moon, and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> so let, we we have to unpack that ending. Harry flying off the bridge. Yeah. The van suddenly taking flight like Santa sleigh, and him flying away. The, the, this ending is very controversial, almost as controversial as the ending of The Last Jedi. But uh, a lot of interpretations. I guess some people claim if you sync it up, or if you pay attention the right way, I should say, that you actually just hear more of a crashing sound and that he really did just crash and die. And then other people say, no, he really did fly away. And I think that really comes down when you say, Trev, to how much you believe in the spirit of Christmas. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. that it, I would I would guess if Lewis Jackson was here right now, he'd tell us that there is no answer to that question. Right. right? It's, it's I, I mean, I doubt he had any hard set, you know, idea yeah. in mind of what that means. And that's, that's, that's fine for that. Um, I mean, Jeffrey DeMunn certainly like looks up into the sky, not down at a crash, you know? Right. So, 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's smart to if you're making a movie like this, especially at a time like we were saying in the early 80s when slasher films were a dime a dozen kind of coming out all the time. I don't want to say it's as cynical as that's why they made did that ending, but I think it was really clever to have such a weird, goofy, ambiguous ending because that's what made this film stick out. And certainly the first time I ever heard about this movie was in reference to that ending, you know, right. uh, that's certainly one of the reasons it's, it's still known and people talk about it and like kind of, you know, joke about it a little bit. Um, so I think people watch it, even if they're doing it to kind of mock that ending, oh, well, they're still watching it, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I think, um, I don't know, man. Like it, it just like, I, I can't remember if I knew about it from people talking about it or what, but like I'm 99% sure that, you know, I went in unspoiled of that, and I remember when it happened, and I was like, instantly, I was like, it just made the movie for me, it made me love it even more, and I was like, this, to me, it's like, this really is a true Christmas story, you know, Christmas fable, Christmas fairy tale, whatever, I love Mm it, I think it's the perfect way, I think it actually, I think it actually definitely works even better than the ending of Repo Man, which has a very similar circumstance. Which in that movie mm-hmm. it's explained that there's a dead alien in the trunk and it's giving off this radiation and blah blah blah. But but it, that that ending really is just like a weird out left field out of nowhere type thing. But uh, yeah, I choose I choose to believe in Harry. I believe he did fly away. I believe he be he did become the true Santa Claus, um, just because he he believed in the spirit of it more than anybody else. Where do you fall, Trev, on the ending? You know, I've always, I've always also looked at it with like kind of a more. I want, I want the magic to be real in that yeah. moment, uh, and that he's, in, you know, yeah, like he's. It's weird to say that he's being rewarded, considering he's done some horrible things. Yeah, but it's just more like, yeah, as you said, the, the spirit of the, the season is really, is really kicking in at that point. I have a more practical question for you, Goat. Yeah. As someone who sounds like you've watched this film quite, a, quite a few times. So when Jeffrey DeMunn falls down, you, you, you yourself said he falls down a fake snowy hill. Um, yeah. When he falls yeah. down the hill, some of the carp, like some of like the carpet that's been laid down yeah. pushes aside, right? And we see like kind of yeah. cardboard boxes pop out, which were clearly there to break his fall. Right. And then when they cut, then when they cut him at the bottom of the hill looking up, they just put cardboard boxes all around him. Do you think they did that second shot to try and justify that mistake and be like, uh, no, this is where people like throw trash, and that's why those boxes were there. No, because even the first time I saw it in the movie, I, I seen that, and I was like, and it's so obvious that they put down like the white kind of like wool, whatever tarp on top of mm-hmm. the boxes, like you said to break his fall. And I think exactly like that, like it, like like firstly because you see like the tarp, the white tarp thing actually kind of like roll up and whatever. So like yeah. like you, I mean, yeah, you know, but but I, I think exactly what you said because. Because then it looks like he fell down, like, you know, a neighborhood dump, you know what I mean? Where people just throw shit. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. No, I I believe 100% they're like, oh, shit. Like, you know, and and, and I'm yeah. sure it's probably a shot they didn't want to, like, either didn't have the time to or they just didn't want to do because, you know, for the safety of Jeffrey DeMunn. Because it's a pretty wild spill that he takes down that hill. Um, I just think it was like, well, we could try to like redo this a million times, or maybe they did try several times. And I think just the same shit was always going to happen. That tarp thing was going to flip up, you know what I mean? So it was like, let's just roll with it, you know. But I mean, 
even though it's like a quote-unquote mistake that I noticed like the very first time I seen it, there's there's something kind of charming about it. You know what I mean? Seeing something so artificial, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're about to watch a guy drive a van off a yeah. bridge and fly into the sky, so I'm not going to be too bothered by a fake snowy hillside. And I, honestly, too, the um, the actual like miniature or whatever it was of the van going off the bridge is actually really good. Like, it's really kind of hard to like spot, other than like obviously it doesn't fly off and it doesn't fall as fast as a real heavy van would. But I mean, the actual model or whatever they use of the truck, you know, uh, it's pretty good. So, yeah, like this was like literally a dream come true to. Uh, to do this episode this is one of the, definitely one i checked off on my bucket list and obviously the season the holiday season coming here was the time to do it i'm glad this popped up on shutter so i could rope you into it trev um i'm glad you enjoyed this movie man it was, it was sucked i had to try to do uh, this commentary with somebody ragging on it the whole time <laughs> so no, no, this is, this, is a, this is a good one. Do you want to throw out any other, like, kind of last-minute Christmas horror recommendations? So we've hit on some of like, Silent Night, Deadly Night is yeah. obviously another must-see. Black Christmas. Black Christmas, um, People to. probably know Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 for the garbage day stuff, of course. Yeah. Um, I watched a few minutes of that. Did you see the Silent Night, uh, you ever see the Silent Night, uh, like, remake? I mean, yeah. you were talking about, like, remakes that are kind of in name only, but the, the the Malcolm McDowell one, which is actually a pretty fun, you know, kind of modern slasher film. The the only thing I dislike about that, and I actually need to give that another watch because I've only seen it once on a, on a Blu-ray rental or whatever, but the only thing I dislike around about the Silent Night remake, which is literally just called Silent Night, it just has that, like, mm-hmm. I don't know what you call it, like, early... 20 whatever 2010s 20 whatever it has that thing of like the whole movie's gray (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it just like and i know a lot of that had to do with supposedly when they filmed it they couldn't film it in season so they just had to kind of like fuck with the colors but that's the that's the only bad thing about that movie is is the the scenery doesn't match that well really yeah and then if we're going to go with, like, Killer Santas, you know, and stay in that vein, I would just also throw a shout-out to uh, the Tales from the Crypt segment and All yep. Through the House, which is actually two really good versions of that. Um doesn't really matter which one you watch. They're both well done. The one that's from the original Tales from the Crypt movie, which I believe is, is that uh, Joan Collins that's being terrorized in it, that version? It is, yeah, yeah. And then and then they did it later again for the TV show with uh, Larry Drake as the, as the Killer Santa. Um, I think it was, like, the first or second episode of the, the series, and... That one's really good, too. And uh, I still haven't... We talked about this movie a few years ago when actually we did a holiday special, but I still haven't made it all the way through Dan Haggerty's Elves. (laughs) (laughs) You remember that one, Jeff? It's, uh... Oh yeah, I think isn't that isn't YouTube kind of the only way you can see that now? Because that never even got a DVD release, right? Yeah, I think I think it is. I don't think it ever came out on DVD or nothing. And uh, I can't really recommend it. But as far as holiday horror, what I'm currently watching, I, I because of time constraints, I watched a half hour last night, and I'll probably finish it tonight. Of the 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 even older than this, a movie called Silent Night, Bloody Night. I don't know if you ever seen. Oh, that yeah, one, I, I know of I've I know of it. I've never I've never watched yeah. it. It's pretty interesting. It's kind of like there's another one that I've. I've yeah, go ahead. No, I was gonna say it's pretty interesting, but it's like insanely low budget. It's like there's like literally just long mm-hmm. scenes of. Uh, just like 
I guess the killer or somebody mysterious just going through this old house. So it's like, it definitely has that padded runtime type feel to it. There's like another one kind of, I don't know how similar it is or what vein it's in, but that I've never seen, but always meant to get around to called uh, Don't Open Till Christmas. Oh, yeah. I know, yeah, I know that, that just falls into like that, that string of horror films that are don't something, you know. But. You know, I just saw it last year on cable because they had it during the uh, Christmas season. A movie that actually gets made fun of like a lot, but I'm just gonna I'm I'm just gonna come out and say I actually really like it. And I really wish there was a Blu-ray of it. I'm gonna be honest, Trev. I'm actually a fan of Silent Night, Deadly Night Five, The Toy Maker. <laughs> it, <laughs> the Mickey Rooney one. Yeah, it just has that. I don't know, man. It just has that weird ass feel to it that it's like it's in the. I would say it's like in the pieces genre where it's like. It was just made in a time and a place where, like, you can never make this movie now, or nobody would want to make it that way. It's just so absurd, but it's actually fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's also just the fun irony of Mickey Rooney being one of the one of the people who tried to get the first movie like destroyed, and yeah. banned, and then he ends up starring in the fifth one. But I mean, that's so weird too, because you know, like he, pro- you know, he knew nothing about it. Just somebody told him about it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I guess to close this out, I mean, just real quick, I mean, I don't really think Santa Claus really is, like, that, like, I don't know, like, I don't think the image of Santa Claus needs to be that protected. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing a, a horror movie with a Santa Claus villain, like, at all. So, I don't know, like, what do you, do you think that really should be as off-limits as some people think, Trev? No, not at all. I mean, but I mean, look who you're talking to. Obviously, you and I aren't going to be the types that, (laughs) you know, like argue for that. But and I don't even know. I can't imagine that being like a kind. It's kind of funny because for all this this dumb like, oh, they're trying to get rid of Christmas thing that happens every year, even though that's never really been the case. I feel like Um, Christmas. I can't imagine ever. Yeah, I mean, they in my lifetime certainly people start celebrating and and putting up stuff for it earlier and earlier every year. But uh, I, I can't even imagine like that being a controversy anymore. I don't imagine anybody would get upset anymore about a Killer Santa movie. I just think it was like a weird thing. There was just that weird kind of bizarre moral panic in general in the 80s. Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. But it's like to me, like we got I'm... we got bigger we got bigger things to worry about nowadays. Than... Yeah, like we we got Star Wars. We got to worry about. We can't worry about Killer Santa's. <laughs> <laughs> but um. But yeah, I just I I don't know. I just I just don't I don't see like what the big deal is like especially in the context of um an R-rated film which restricts the access that kids would have to it. Like I would agree don't show a 5-year-old Silent Night, Deadly Night or even Christmas Evil. You know, they might misunderstand, but mm-hmm. it's like if it's an R-rated movie and, you know, the the access is restricted, I I don't I don't get it at all. Like, if anything, I, I think they should be making them because, you know, as adults, like, we all grew up with the Santa Claus myth. Like, it's just one of those things that it's so universal that I feel like, you know, to not explore it in films for whatever reason would just be kind of stupid censorship. But, yeah. whatever. So, yeah, so I had a great well, this time. Is probably, this is probably the last, uh, the last podcast you and I will do of this decade. Yeah, I, I was I was just getting ready to wrap it up right now and say, um, 
say, you know, of the year and all that kind of shit. But yeah, you're right of the decade. The decade in which we met, probably what, six, seven mm-hmm. years? I was going to say, like, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was just about to ask you if you knew for sure how many years we've been, we've been doing shows together, but I'd say it, it had to have happened somewhat early in this decade. So it's been a, yeah. it's been a while. Because I think we were doing, I seriously think we were doing like movie wars and shit like around 2012, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. 20, 2013 at the latest so yeah it's yeah. it's pretty amazing talk about time flying man it is true the older you get the faster time flies because it feels like it's only been three or four years but it's been double that for sure so yeah, yeah. pretty crazy let's sing a, let's sing a Christmas carol <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and bond over this special season so yeah, so th- this was fun for me. Not, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Trev. I was going to watch this movie anyway, but to watch it, knowing we'd be talking about it again and everything, and really diving deep into it, it was a real treat. And I'm glad you uh, accepted the invitation, so to speak. And um, always, man. Is there is there anything you want to say? The the last words that the the listeners will be hearing from you for this decade. Um. Don't blame Babu Frick. Babu Frick is innocent of any of this uh, Rise of Skywalker nonsense. Um, It's strange that the decade is ending with Star Wars being bad and Eddie Murphy being good. It's not where I expected (laughs) the decade to to end up. Um, But no, just uh, you know, thanks, thanks for having me on. Uh, This is a fun one. This is people should check us out. I feel like this movie does get. I'm glad, I'm glad we did this one, too, because I do feel like this movie gets gets lost in the shuffle of Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Black Christmas. This yeah. one kind of gets forgotten about, um, but it's it should be – those should be like – like I said, Krampus is my favorite, but that's kind of a different kind of Christmas horror movie. Yeah. Those three should be like the three kind of go-to Christmas slashers for sure. D- definitely the holy trinity of um, at least like the retro ones, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, everybody, thanks a lot. Trev, thanks for joining us. Um, Yeah, pretty much hitting, yeah, we've been going about four years strong. And now everybody can, everybody listens to this and then watches this. Now you guys can get ready to go watch New Year's Evil. That's right, New Year's Evil, which we'll have to do that for our uh, holiday-themed one for next year, Trev. One another one of my favorite movies that I've only recently discovered in recent years. But everybody, take care, be safe, have fun at your holiday parties. Um, I would tell you to go get everybody some uh, you know good Christmas presents, but I think we're, we've run out of time for that. It's December twenty third. I don't think you <laughs> have time. So enjoy your uh, Christmas Eve. Enjoy your Christmas. You know, actually, it's, sorry not to delay this any longer, but but actually, you know what would be kind of fun to do here. Um, just really quickly, is removing horror from the equation. I'm not sure if I've ever asked you, what are like your favorite, like, we can just, we can both do this like really quickly, I'm sure. What are your favorite, like, just legit Christmas movies? Mm, didn't we do an episode about this, trip? <laughs> did we? We did. You don't remember that? I don't know. We, so, so now we've been doing this a decade. I can't remember this crap. Yeah, I don't even remember what we talked about. We did our, like, four or five favorite uh, Christmas films. Um... You know, the last several years, I've just been watching these horror ones, um, you know, and then I'll, I'll kind of leave it up to my girlfriend to, uh, you know, bring the kind of more straight ones. 
I mean, again, I want to say Gremlins before this whole, you know, before I got on the whole Black Christmas train, um, growing up, my favorite one was Gremlins, um, and, uh, as far as Christmas Christmas ones, you can't, can't go wrong with the, um, with the Santa Claus movie with Tim Allen, that's actually really cute. One for kids. One I saw on Netflix a couple years ago. I'm going to be honest. I kind of enjoyed it more than I thought of. I can't remember the name of it, but there was one with Jonathan Taylor Thomas where he's trying to get home in time for Christmas. That was actually a pretty decent movie. Mm-hmm. Um, non-horror. A- again, it's not like legit straight-up Christmas. I love The Ice Harvest with John Cusack and Billy Bob Thornton. It's just a crazy... It's kind of like a crime caper film that takes place on New Year's Eve. That's just really downbeat. Uh, one of the I don't know I can't remember if it was the last, but it's one of the last movies directed by Harold Ramis. Did you ever see that one, Trev? No, I know of it, but I never yeah. saw it. I think it's worth checking out. Um, I'm trying to think, man. Like I, I gotta come clean and say I don't really like really ever go back. I mean, and then obviously I can throw die, both Die Hard, Die Hard Two are great that they happen on Christmas, but. I don't really get into those classics other than, like, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas and stuff. Um, I enjoyed The Grinch uh, cartoon that came out last year, but I don't really get into, like, all them cl- them classics, like um, uh, It's a Wonderful Life and all that. Like, do you? Do you have some that you get into every year? I actually just thought it would be funny if I came in here and listed a bunch of those, like, Hallmark Lifetime Channel Christmas movies that they just show all year long. But, uh... I don't even have the. I don't even have it in me to like look up the titles for those. Um, well, I watched one no, last I, I'm night. Kind of like so. with <laughs> we watched some I, of those I in have, this house. Yeah, I have the same standard kind of go tos. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is oh, is great. Yeah. It's actually my favorite of the Vacation series. Um, Christmas Story. Yeah. I feel like maybe now enough time has passed for me to try and watch Christmas Story again. I certainly have gone years without watching it just because of how much you know you see it. Uh, yeah. When you know, especially when you're younger, and we would watch cable TV more often. And I've, uh-huh. as everyone knows, it's just kind of constantly on cable around this time of year. Um, Ernest Saves Christmas, I enjoy. Oh, I haven't uh, seen that one. Ernest since I was fan. A kid. Yeah, and uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, I think, is another oh, yeah. fun one to That's watch. Good. I also like Mickey's Christmas Carol too. To be honest with you. Yeah, and I think they're both available on Disney Plus right now. So, you know, yeah, we, we might as well throw a plug in for Disney Plus because the show on this podcast soon. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> the shows that we are. <laughs> I, I actually feel like maybe we should shill more for stuff on this podcast. We don't really do a lot of shilling. But, uh, yeah, they're all good. Like, I know it's. What is planes, trains, and automobiles? Are they trying to get home for Christmas or Thanksgiving on that one? It's a Thanksgiving. Okay, yeah, yeah that's what I thought. That's what I thought. That's actually a fun movie. I, I actually watched that for like the first time like a year or two ago. Like I always seen bits and pieces of it on cable, but I actually sat down. I guess... Oh, here, you know what? I'll throw out like a, if people are if people are looking for like a, a, a fun alternate Christmas horror film that other than and maybe like a less obvious one. Um, this is a 2000s film, but uh, go check out P2, the, oh, the movie about yeah. the, the killer security guard in the parking garage. That's a really fun movie. Yeah, set West at Christmas. Bentley. Mm-hmm. That's almost like um, like a horror version of Die Hard in a little bit of a way. And, uh, yeah, a little bit. Also, my favorite uh, feel-bad Christmas movie of all time is uh, Can't Go Wrong with Less Than Zero. 
Oh yeah. That has a great uh, Christmas theme. Oh, yeah. Go as well. Don't oh, mind as Go. Yeah, I love Go. I always forget that Go happens on Christmas because because they go to the Christmas rave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I I wish I wish I could have uh, compared notes with that that holiday special we did a few years ago, Trev. I think it's called the 2016 holiday special. It's me and you breaking down. <laughs> But maybe we can plug that right now. Everybody go listen to the 2016 holiday special to get our real picks and not just the picks that we hate off the top yeah. of our head. <laughs> yeah. Hope we didn't say anything then that contradicts now. <laughs> we probably did. We're probably on there being like, oh, man. The, <laughs> uh, the um, We're probably being like, oh, this sucks. That sucks. I do remember mm-hmm. us on that podcast. We did talk about elves. And I remember we talked about the Dolly Parton Christmas movie. Remember that? <laughs> Oh yeah, now okay, yeah. The one with the hillbilly kids. You remember that movie? Yeah, yep. Now I remember. Yeah, now it's coming back. Yeah, Yeah. I should splice in clips of us like (laughs) contradicting ourselves, but not. (laughs) But yeah, so everybody, I hope you have a great Christmas. Have a great. Actually, has Hanukkah started yet? I think Hanukkah. Yes, it has. Yeah, yeah, it has. Hanukkah's already going on. So everybody celebrating Hanukkah. Have a great Hanukkah. Christmas in a day or two. Mm-hmm. Have a great Christmas. Then we're Kwanzaa. Gonna hit, yeah, we're going to hit that Kwanzaa on the 26th. And then uh, New Year's on 31st. Now, Trev, i got to ask you, yep. are you more a New Year's Eve guy or are you more a New Year's Day guy? I am i don't give a crap about either of them. <laughs> Truth. It's just, a, just, a, just another year. I like New Year's The last Eve. few years I've actually been, I don't know, I don't know about you. The last few years, I've been pretty lame and haven't even haven't even gone to a New Year's Eve party. I just kind of oh, no. chill Thank out. Check this out. I've only been to one New Year's Eve party in my entire life. Thankfully, it was the, <laughs> it was the only one that counted the 1999 to 2000. And uh, my mm-hmm. friend was so paranoid when it hit 2000. Uh, he uh, like right like when the countdown started, like the 10 9. He literally ran out and jumped out like off this porch into a bunch of bushes. Like, not even as a joke, he actually did it. I'm just like... And, I mean, we were drinking all night, of course, but it wasn't like we were, like, pissed drunk or nothing. I don't know. I don't know why he did that, but, yeah. I think that's my biggest New Year's Eve highlight, watching uh, my friend at the time run and jump into a bush. But, um, yeah. New Year's. It's coming up. So, everybody, thanks again for joining us, Trev. Thank you. Uh, it's always fun. Um, you know, the older you get, sometimes it's harder to get into the spirit a little bit more of Christmas because it really is a holiday design for kids. So it's nice to hit up these old flicks, get you in the mood. Mm-hmm. Everybody have a great holiday season and we'll see you next year. Not, not just next year. We'll see you next decade in the movie graveyard. Yep. I want you to remember to stay good boys and girls. Respect your mothers and fathers and do what they tell you. Obey your teachers and learn a whole lot. Now, if you do this, I'll make sure you get good presents from me every year.
But if you're bad boys and girls, your name goes in the bad boys and girls book. And I'll bring you something horrible. Santa Claus! Yeah. Yeah.